ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Everybody and welcome to the May 3rd, 2022 edition of the Boxing Source Radio Show. That's right. According to reports, this is the longest running boxing podcast in existence. I'm your host, James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source here on social media. Of course, you could catch boxing articles and more are through the website, theboxingsource.net, or you can follow us through social media from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, you know. Um, and we got a good number of things to talk about in this particular podcast as we catch up with all of the action that happened over the weekend as you had uh, great action that was in Madison Square Garden and also at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, right? So uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, main events uh, on there, uh, plus, you know, the other action that uh, did take place um within uh, those cards so we we will be uh, covering as much as we can uh within the uh, time uh that we have allotted uh we want to you know just talk about uh each of the fights that were showcased and also uh the stuff in reference to uh the undercards you know so uh, we're going to get we're going to get at it and also you know talk about uh other uh, news within the sport of boxing over the course of the weekend and the uh, past couple of days. So uh, we'll get, we will uh, try to get through uh, that as much as possible. But we want to start off with the card that was at Madison Square Garden. And the reason why, you know, I wanted to start with the card at Madison Square Garden is because that one, you know, was headlined by, you know, a historic fight in Madison Square Garden the first time in the uh, history of Madison Square Garden, where you had a combat sports event headlined uh, by two women. Yes, it was for the undisputed lightweight title with Katie Taylor going up against Amanda Serrano. Yep, you had Katie Taylor uh, there, of course, uh, one of the uh, more popular uh, fighters there in women's boxing going up against another uh, popular fighter in the sport of women's boxing, as you had Katie Taylor uh, coming in there with a record of 20 and 0, you know, um, and she uh, was there as the defending undisputed uh, lightweight champion going up against Amanda Serrano, who came in there with a record of 42 wins, one loss, and one draw. Now, uh, this had basically been built as the Biggest fight in women's boxing, mainly because it was going to be headlining Madison Square Garden. It had, you know, like I said, Katie Taylor as one of the more popular uh, fighters in women's boxing, considered by many as the uh, top 
pound for pound fighter in women's boxing. But uh, also, you go in there with Amanda Serrano. Uh, what, what is she? She's like a seven division world champion. Um, and and uh, she had like a huge winning streak, you know, up to this fight um, and had been uh, going through multiple uh, divisions, you know, winning titles. Uh, she was recently the unified featherweight uh, champion, you know, so um, she had uh, went back up to the lightweight division in the fight before uh, uh, facing Katie Taylor with a uh, clear unanimous decision win over Miriam Gutierrez over in Tampa last year, uh, leading into this bout against Katie Taylor. Uh, but, you know, going into the bout, you had, you know, Amanda Serrano with about <laughs> almost twice as many uh, wins by knockout as the amount of fights that Katie Taylor had. So it was building up to be, you know, a great and awesome uh, fight. Uh, it was, you know, kind of like promoted as being an awesome fight. And, you know, the atmosphere for that, you know, is something that, you know, uh, if, if, you know, you were there, you know, you kind of like seen every, like all that was going down leading up to uh, that main event. And the, you know, the atmosphere for that main event was just you know, awesome that, you know, people are still talking about, you know, up until this point, you know. Uh, so, you know, given given uh, that being said, wanted to you know kind of like break this down as you know you had uh, Katie Taylor to be uh, was uh, one that was going to you know try to be the uh, quicker fighter, uh, faster fighter, try to you know get in with combinations and things like that. While Amanda Serrano was going to attempt to you know try to overpower and you know try to uh, beat up on Katie Taylor and. In the first few rounds, you pretty much got a uh, sample of that from from both fighters. You know, uh, Katie Taylor uh, was able to you know try to get in and get one you know two or three shots in in close quarters when she was within range of Amanda Serrano, while Amanda Serrano was just walking forward, just throwing shots, throwing power shots, throwing shots that you know looked like you know she was trying to hurt Katie Taylor, um, and. You know, in the in the first few rounds, that's what you pretty much got. So it was kind of like tough to score those first three rounds or so uh, between those two combatants. Um, you know, and then it was still like you know an action fight. You really didn't have that many clinches where you know referee Michael Griffin would have been you know that involved in, in in this particular bout, especially early in the fight. You know, but then after you know a while you saw amanda serrano pretty much like getting her groove a little bit um stay with her pursuit stay having you know a front foot forward moving forward moving forward backing up katie taylor getting in there with some good power shots good power shots and you know seeing if she could you know eventually break her down and you know there was like one point you know in in midway between this particular fight where it looked like Amanda Serrano was really going to beat down Katie Taylor and that you you were pretty much, uh, you were fairly close. I mean, fairly close uh, to having that fight stop. You know, uh, uh, you know it, it just looked like it was, uh, you know, very, uh, very bad situation uh, there for Katie Taylor. You've seen that, you know, she was, uh, you know, cut, uh, was bleeding, 
uh, was, you know, visibly hurt, you know, um, and, you know, I, I'm still, you know, trying to figure out how uh, she was not, you know, knocked down in, in any of those uh, instances uh, during that particular fight. But especially you know, in that round where uh, Amanda Serrano was clearly, clearly beating up uh, Katie Taylor. Actually, you know, uh, in, in some considerations, that could have been scored a 10-8 round even without a knockdown because of the uh, way that Amanda Serrano was just dominating that particular round. Uh, but, you know, around the uh, sixth round or something like that, sixth, seventh round, you you still had Amanda Serrano, you know, still trying to get to Katie Taylor. Um, but it wasn't uh, to the point where she was as accurate and sharp with her shots. So it kind of like gave Katie Taylor a chance to get her bearings back a little bit. So that by around seven and eight, you've seen Katie Taylor getting back into the fight, uh, being more energetic, being able to move a little bit more, being able to throw her shots uh, more and land more shots uh, there than uh, Amanda Serrano in that, you know, it kind of like got the better of Amanda Serrano at that point. So look like the momentum of the fight kind of like shifted back to Katie Taylor uh, there within that seventh and eighth round. And so, when it got to, you know, round nine, you know, uh, with um, Serrano, she had a lot of momentum uh, going into, you know, after those uh, mid middle rounds, it seemed like the momentum just got back to Katie Taylor. And, um, you know, with that, that kind of like was a turning point, you know, there live because when you have, you know, someone like Katie Taylor in trouble there, you got to be able to take advantage. And it looked like the uh, energy for Amanda Serrano uh, went down a little bit to kind of like get t Katie Taylor back into the fight. And so by round 10, it, it just seemed like at that point, we didn't really know who was going to have the upper hand in that particular bout. And in round 10, it was just action from, you know, the first second to the last second of round 10. Um, you know, there were multiple instances where both of them were just swinging and swinging and landing punches. Um, near the end of the round, pretty much around like 15 or 10 seconds left in the round, it was very, very close that Katie Taylor could have had one knee go down uh, when she was throwing punches uh, while Amanda Serrano was throwing punches. And I thought that would have been key there if that was going to be a knockdown. But it did go through the full... 10 rounds uh, there in that particular bout. And you had the judges uh, with the scorecards uh, there. And you had Benoit Roussel scored about six rounds to four uh, there in favor of uh, Amanda Serrano, right? And Glenn Feldman scored about seven rounds to three in favor of Katie Taylor. And Guido Cavalieri, or Cavalieri, yeah, Cavalieri, scored about six rounds to three in favor of Katie Taylor for her to get the win and stay the undisputed lightweight champion. Um, you know, for me, I, I mean, I thought it was uh, way too close. Um, you know, I thought it was something where, you know, he could have had the nod to Serrano. Um not sure about the thing with Katie Taylor. Uh, I think it's it's more about the first few rounds of the fight, how P 
people scored the first few rounds of the fight uh, to like kind of like show like what the difference uh, would basically be uh, there in that instance. Because if you kind of like scored those first three rounds in a certain way, that kind of like set the tone as to what the you know tail end of the fight would have been at, as far as like who you would have probably uh, favored in that uh, particular bout. You know, so you know. With that being said, you know I, I kind of like feel like it would have been uh, like a toss up. You know, going into that last round, uh, yes, there was uh, instances where Amanda Serrano kind of like uh, had you know turned down her energy level a little bit. You know, and that you know was uh, a major difference there, right? Uh, but, you know, going into the uh, actual scorecards, uh, you know, round by round, uh, majority of the judges kind of like scored the uh, first two rounds uh, in favor of Katie Taylor. Um, I think it was um, two of the three judges scored the first two rounds for Katie Taylor and one judge scored all three rounds in favor of Katie Taylor. And, and you had uh, one particular uh, judge uh, who, you know, pretty much scored it. The one that scored it 97 to 93 scored the first three rounds and the last four rounds in favor of Katie Taylor. So uh, that was, you know, kind of like a key thing there. Um, and also with uh, one other judge, they scored the, the other judge scored the ballot in favor of Katie Taylor also scored the last four rounds in favor of Katie Taylor. And actually, the last three rounds, uh, rounds eight, nine, and 10, were unanimously scored for Katie Taylor uh, there. So you, you kind of, you know, take that, you know, as it is or how it may. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I thought that um, Amanda Serrano probably could have taken that particular round. Uh, and if she was able to take, well, even if she took that round, uh, across the board, it still would have been, you know, majority decision in favor of Katie Taylor uh, because it would be, you know, like a 95-94 or something like that. Um, I'm trying to figure out something here because if you have a uh, 93 score, um, I'm trying to figure out, like, how, you know, that could be the case uh, if there was, like, no knockdowns, you know what I mean? Uh, that would have been, like, a seven rounds to three unless, you know, you have, like, a 9-9 score somewhere. And, you know, from what I'm seeing, uh, it wasn't, but they did have it in reference to the 96-93 score. Uh, that one judge that scored at 96-93 in favor of Taylor did score that fifth round, a 10-8 round in favor of Amanda Serrano. Now, you know, like I said, I mean, when you have a round that's uh, dominated by one fighter that didn't necessarily score a knockdown. Yes, there is an instance where it could be scored as a 10-8 round. But, you know, even with that, like I said, a majority of the, the uh, judges scored the last four rounds in favor of Katie Taylor, which was kind of like the difference in the particular in this particular fight. Um, you know, especially uh, after, you know, round six, where, you know, you kind of like seen Katie Taylor kind of like get some of her bearings back. And then, you know, from around uh, seven on, it, that's when she kind of like shifted the momentum 
you know, over in her favor uh, there a little bit before uh, Amanda Serrano kind of like got back in it on the tail end of round nine and then in round 10. Uh, but, you know, like I said, Katie Taylor uh, got through that particular fight. As a winner, she is still the uh, undisputed lightweight champion. Now it is 21-0, and 0, um, and uh, Amanda Serrano falls to a record of 42 wins, two losses, and one draw. Um, you know, it was uh, very uh, cordial comments between uh, both Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano in reference to this particular fight. Um, you know, it looks like they feel like they want to uh, do it again, um, especially with the uh, atmosphere that uh, surrounded this particular bout in Madison Square Garden. They said it was a sellout at Madison Square Garden for this particular fight, which is very good. Uh, actually, that's great. You know, and and I think that, you know, that may lead to more things there for women's boxing in the near future. But in reference to a rematch between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano, it looks like they're trying to have that particular rematch over in the home country for Katie Taylor in Ireland. So we're going to see if that is going to happen sometime later this year. I don't know. You know, it is Ireland. So, um Yo, unless it's going to be like an indoor event or something like that, uh, I'm not sure how that is going to, you know, work itself out. Uh, of course, you know, uh, Matchroom Boxing's Eddie Hearn and MVP Promotions, a lead guy there, uh, Jake Paul, um, were there uh, in the ring after the fight. Of course, uh, Jake Paul said that Amanda Serrano should have won the fight. He felt like it was a draw at best. Um, I think it was more, you know, towards what Amanda Serrano was doing, you know, from the start of the fight up until that sixth and seventh round to where she was the aggressor. She was coming forward. She was landing the more telling shots. Uh, and she, you know, I'm telling you, Amanda Serrano really hurt Katie Taylor uh, in that first half of the fight or the first six rounds of the fight, you know. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, with that being said, you, you with this being – 10 round a 10 round bout with two minute rounds it doesn't really give you know uh, either fighter that much time to you know if 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 one fighter does have a good start it doesn't really give the other fighter uh that much time to really get back into that particular round so uh you know for me when it comes to judging uh women's boxing matches you know, whatever is done within that first 30 seconds or that first minute really could control uh, what happens for the rest of that particular round, you know. Um, and I think that was uh, one thing that could be key, uh, not just in this particular bout, but in uh, women's boxing matches in general. But, uh, you know, like Jake Paul said, he, he pretty much felt like it was a draw at best, but he definitely thought that Amanda Serrano won uh, that fight. Uh, and that, you know, he, you know, definitely would be uh, interested in working with Eddie Hearn for uh, doing a rematch. Uh, and if that rematch is in Ireland, then, yeah, I guess that rematch would be in Ireland. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, overall, that particular bout uh, was, you know, very good, uh, was done very well. Um, you know, I wish I was able to be in attendance, but I was not. I know uh, a couple of people or a couple of, uh, you know, reporters that were in attendance for that particular bout, and they said that the atmosphere was crazy. 
Uh, one in particular, shout out to YSM Sports Media, Jamil, uh, was there in attendance. Um, you know, he pretty much like felt like it was similar to the atmosphere for that Anthony Joshua and the Ruiz fight in Madison Square Garden. You know, it was similar to that. Um, there was another uh, reporter that was in attendance at Madison Square Garden, uh, but that person should not shall not be named uh, in this particular podcast because of a certain thing that he did while he was at Madison Square Garden. And, and he and I'm telling you that person better not come into the live podcast or he will get cursed out on the live podcast. Uh, but that's a whole nother story right there. Okay. Uh, but given that, uh, like I said, overall, that was a very, very, very good event uh, there at Madison Square Garden. You had a lot of, um, you know, star celebrities that were in attendance. You had a lot of uh, boxers uh, that were in attendance there. Um, you know, Clarissa Shields was there. Um, you know, um, Michaela May was there. Alicia Baumgartner was there. Mikhail, Raquel Miller was there. Um, I think Chris Martin was in there. Uh, it, it was like uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, high-profile boxers, current boxers, and legendary fighters that were there in attendance for this particular event, uh, for this particular fight and more. So, uh, you know, once again, uh, like I said, the uh, event there was uh, very, very good with that uh, headline about Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano with Katie Taylor uh, getting the split decision win in this particular instance. Um, now, I mean, one thing I would kind of like say is, if some people could compare this uh, particular bout between Taylor and Serrano, similar to that first bout that Katie Taylor had with Delphine Persoon in the same arena. Now, Katie Taylor in that particular bout, you know, to me, it was dear life for that one. Uh, looked like she was pretty much in the lead. She was boxing very well, you know, scoring well against Delphine Persoon. But in the second half of the fight, you had Delphine Persoon really get really get to Katie Taylor and land a good amount of shots on Katie Taylor in that particular bout. But by the end of that fight, the judges scored that bout in favor of Katie Taylor. But there were a good amount of people that were there in the tennis live and those that were watching that felt like Delphine Person should have been the one that should have uh, had her hand raised in victory in that particular bout. They did have a rematch where Katie Taylor was, you know, more um, definitive in her victory in that rematch. But in that first bout that was to Madison Square Garden in 2019, um, you know, Katie Taylor really um, had a, a struggle. Uh, there with um, Delphine Person, and like I said, some people thought that Delphine Person should have been a victor in that particular bout. But you know, in comparison to this uh, bout against Amanda Serrano, hey, maybe you had you know even more people that could have had it in favor of Amanda Serrano in this bout because yeah, Kaylee Taylor was really getting beat up in in that particular bout, especially in that sixth round. It was like. Oof. Yeah, I thought, I like I'm telling you, when it was like coming from round four to round six, it looked like Katie Taylor was really getting beat up uh, in that bout. And I thought that, you know, it would have been uh, something there where uh, Michael Griffin uh, would have stopped that bout. Um, you know, like I said, uh, actually, you know, Michael Griffin is a fairly uh, notable 
uh, uh, referee uh, because that is the same referee that was in the ring for the first bout between Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. And he was the one that made the call to uh, put a stop to the bout uh, for Andy Ruiz to win at the time the Unified Heavyweight Championships over Anthony Joshua. And so it looked like here he had that instance where he had to make the call of, is he going to stop the bout uh, for Amanda uh, Serrano to defeat Katie Taylor? Yeah, there was no knockdowns in that particular round, but you just seemed like uh, Serrano really beating up Katie Taylor in that particular instance. And it looked like Taylor was gassed, you know, just <laughs> really could move that well, uh, wasn't very defensive, was taking a lot of serious shots. And it just, you know, looked like it would have been, you know, uh, over uh, there for Katie Taylor. But, you know, on that note, right, there was also this other thing here with this particular fight or leading into the fight where, you know, on in the buildup, you know, Amanda Serrano kind of like threw out the idea of, you know, hey, let's see if we can have three-minute rounds in this belt. And maybe... If there were three-minute rounds, who knows what would have happened. But at the same token, from a professional standpoint, if you're going to have these fights be at three-minute rounds or 12 rounds, then you're going to have to come up with three-minute or 12-round money for these fighters. That's the whole other thing there that, you know, we got to consider. So, you know, with that being said, I mean, maybe um, that could be uh, discussed um, in the future, as far as like future fights in women's boxing, do they want to go ahead and uh, have either three minute rounds or have 12 rounds uh, in, in consideration for world championship bouts? But, you know, like I was saying, I mean, it was a very, very good bout. Um, and I, I think I'm kind of like selling it short, mainly probably because I wasn't able to attend it live. Uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still kind of like mad about that here uh, day, days later. But you know, it's it's uh, man, I I'll be like so busy, man. I, I'll just be straight up, I'm real busy, and that's like the last weekend of the month, and a whole lot of stuff happens the last weekend of the month, and <laughs> I could have been in you know one of three different locations uh, for that day, and so I I, I ended up choosing one. Um, but, you know, with that being said, I wanted to, you know, get more into, you know, that uh, fight card. You know, I uh, know that there was a um, co-feature bout uh, there with Liam Beefy Smith going up against Jesse Vargas uh, there in the 154-pound division. Liam Smith with uh, came in there with a record of 30 wins, three losses, and one draw. Jesse Vargas came in there with a record of 29 wins, three losses, and two draws. Uh, Vargas, you know, had been uh, on the either the short end of the stick in his uh, previous fight uh, that he had against Mikey Garcia uh, that was over two years ago over in the uh, Dallas area in Frisco, Texas. Uh, but, you know, leading into that bout against Liam Smith, uh, he had one win, one loss, and two draws in his previous four fights. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, Liam Smith, he had been a, you know, um, you know, uh, guy that uh, was a world champion 
uh, there in the 154-pound division, uh, did lose the WBO uh, belt to Canelo Alvarez back in 2016. Had, you know, a couple of wins over Liam Williams, uh, but uh, also did lose to Jaime Magia uh, there in, in uh, for that w, that same WBO belt uh, back in 2018 and had, you know, a couple of uh, fights uh, where he was able to string some wins before uh, losing to Magomed um, uh over in Ekaterinburg, Russia, right? Um, and then he had that domestic dust-up against Anthony Fowler where he pretty much looked very, uh, you know, good in the tail end of that fight up until the stoppage uh, that he was able to score against Anthony Fowler. And then he had this bout here against Jesse Vargas. And in this bout against Jesse Vargas, you know, he looked, uh, you know, pretty good there. And, um, you know, was able to hurt uh, Jesse Vargas to the point where uh, Steve Willis, shout out to Steve Willis, is, you know, one of the favorite referees to, um, uh, you know, it had that thing where it was a stoppage victory in favor of Liam Smith. And that was for a, you know, minor version of a super welterweight title uh, that kind of like, you know, could put uh, Liam Smith in the mix as far as like the 154 pound division. But, you know, how things are when it comes to 154, um, you do have the undisputed uh, world title fight that's coming up on May 14th, the rematch between Mel Charlo and Brian Carlos Castaño. Um, and you also do have the um, it, uh, the situation with um, Tim Zhu as the top-rated uh, contender uh, there in the WBO rankings. And, of course, uh, you also have uh, Kurbanov, who, like I said, uh, defeated Liam Smith last year. So, uh, that, you know, kind of like gets uh, Liam Smith, you know, in the mix a little bit there in the 154-pound rankings, but he would still have to, you know, wait it out if he feel if he thinks that he's going to get another world title shot, given that there are, you know, a few guys there in the 154-pound division that, you know, is uh, ranked above him, so to speak. Uh, so um, that's, um, you know, another thing that you know, kind of like had there with uh, Liam Smith, and actually, well, I mean, if he was able to not be involved with Matchroom or kind of like be a free agent for one fight, maybe he could have some type of eliminator, so to speak, uh, against Tony Harrison. You know, Tony Harrison, uh, you know, had uh, one uh, great performance in his uh, last bout, you know, um, where he uh definitely showed that he could be uh, back in the 154-pound division with his win over Sergio Garcia a couple weeks back. But, um, but I, I mean, I'm not sure if they could try to get something together for uh, Liam Smith versus a Tony Harrison there at 154. I, I mean, I kind of, like, doubt that that's uh, in the cards anytime soon. But, you know, that's – you know, one thing I would kind of like suggest as uh, a potential match for Liam Smith up there if he wants to stay uh, up there in the 154-pound rankings. So there was that. And also, uh, as part of the uh, card there in Madison Square Garden, you did have another undisputed world title bout 
with Franchon Cruz Desern taking on Aiden Setaruz uh, there in the super middleweight division. Yes, uh, Franchon Cruz Desern uh, came in there with uh, you know two of the four major belts there uh, with the record of seven wins and one loss, a lone loss to Clarissa Shields in their uh, debut fights. And of course, this is, you know, um, Franchon Cruz has earned that, you know, had that bout in 2020 against Alejandro Jimenez where, you know, that was just a uh, uh, crazy, crazy bout uh, there in that particular instance. And it was, you know, of course, uh, changed to a no decision uh, due to, you know, Jimenez and, you know, whatever uh, Jimenez was doing. So she came in there with the WBC and WBO belts. Aileen Santa-Ruz came in there with the WBA and IBF belts. She was undefeated 8-0 uh, there, um, you know, coming off of, uh, you know, uh, wins over Alicia Espinosa and also um, Florence Muthoni uh, in, in her uh, past couple of bouts. But she hadn't been in the ring uh, for a couple of years before her bout here against Franchon Cruz's earn. But they were trying on multiple occasions last year to have this particular belt, um, but it kept getting rescheduled and rescheduled and rescheduled. But then it got put on this uh, card in Madison Square Garden, and it was, you know, a clear, clear, clear win by the heavy-hitting diva, French Hong Cruz earned. Unanimous decision, two scores of nine rounds to one and one score of seven rounds to three in favor of Franchon Cruz Desern. Uh, she is now eight and one, and she is the undisputed super middleweight champion. Uh, this is, you know, a great, great, great achievement for her. Uh, you know, if y'all were able to uh, catch her interview on the Boxing Source YouTube page, uh, you know how, you know, she would, she uh, would have, you know, felt once she got announced as the undisputed champion. And she did have that moment there in Madison Square Garden where, you know, the decision came down and said, and the new undisputed super middleweight champion, the heavy hitting diva, Franchon Cruz has earned. So uh, big shout out to Franchon Cruz has earned for scoring that win over Ellen Setaruz, and she is now the undisputed super middleweight champion. Uh, they, you know, there is going to be like a few other uh, fights that, uh, you know, could happen uh, there in that particular division. Uh, I know that there are a couple of fighters, uh, you know, within the U.S. that are part of that whole group of fighters that came up from the amateurs that can compete against each other. We already had Franchon Cruz Desern against Clarissa Shields, but you also have, you know, Daisy Green. You also have, uh, you know, Tika Hemingway, uh, who was a guest of the Boxing Source Radio Show some time back. Uh, you also have another guest uh, there, Raquel Miller, who did mention on her IG Live while she was in attendance that she would like to have a fight with Franchon Cruz Desern. So, you know what? We're going to see if we could try to 
you know, make that happen. I'm going to see if I can get in contact uh, with Raquel Miller to set up a separate interview or whatnot. And of course, you know, like I said, we had uh, Franchon Cruz's earn here before, so we may uh, be able to get her on again and see if that would be something that uh, she would be interested in uh, in the near future. You know, so we're going to see how that uh, could materialize. But, you know, for right now, like I said, you got the Baltimore native, Franchon Cruz Zern. She's originally, you know, down from uh, uh, Virginia, um, but now, you know, resides in Baltimore. Uh, she is now the uh, undisputed super middleweight champion. Uh, of course, uh, shout out to Headbangers Jim. Uh, that's where, you know, she uh, trains, you know, majority of the time uh, there. So she, you know, though that crew there over at Headbangers, uh, there has another uh, undisputed world champion there in Franchon Cruz Zern. So uh, that is uh, what we got as far as like the uh, major parts of that event in Madison Square Garden. Yes, you did have Austin Ammo Williams uh, get a TKO victory uh, over Chordell Booker in this bout. So he's now 11 0. Uh, Galalia Five uh, stopped Miguel Cartagena. In this particular uh, fight card, and also Khalil Cole had a unanimous decision victory uh, there in that particular bout. And Scott Nicholson uh, there in the featherweight division scored a unanimous decision victory over Shaniqua Davis uh, there. So uh, that you know kind of like runs down everything that happened there at Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, like, like I said, I mean, with that being a sellout crowd. With that having an event, a main event that was, you know, pretty much everything that uh, those looking forward to the bout thought it would be, or some people maybe think that it exceeded expectations. You know, that was very, very great uh, for the sport of boxing in general there. And, you know, hopefully uh, we get a more big events like that pretty soon. I know that we're going to get more big fights like that in women's boxing real soon than this year. Like I said, you may, you, you're going to have soon the killer mayor versus Alicia Baumgartner. Uh, they were supposed to have an announcement for when Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall were going to fight, but it didn't necessarily happen yet. So we're still waiting on that announcement when that fight's going to happen, you know, uh, so those are a couple of other bouts uh, that should be in the in the future here in 2022. And like I said, we may have another uh, fight in that super middleweight division. It could be the first defense for Franchon Cruz to earn against Raquel Miller. But we'll see. Um, we'll see how that is going to sort itself out uh, there. You know, um, in in that. Uh, particular division as, you know, Raquel Miller uh, had been um, in the middleweight division. She would be coming up to super middleweight uh, in order to uh, face Franchon Cruz's earn if that uh, fight does happen. So uh, we're going to see how that would uh, materialize there uh, in the near future. But now we're going to move on. Uh, you did have, like I said, another uh, card that was in the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, headlined by the unification bout in the super featherweight division. Oscar Valdez 
versus Shakur Stevenson. Oscar Valdez uh, coming in there with a record of 30 and 0. Um, you know, the WBC super featherweight champion. He was a former WBO featherweight champion going up to 130 pounds and eventually facing Miguel Birchout, uh, where he scored, you know, one of the strong candidates for knockout of the year in 2021, where he took took out Miguel Birchout to win that WBC super featherweight title. He had, you know, one defense uh, there of that uh, super featherweight title against Robson Consecal. Uh, and you know, some people kind of like know the whole back backstory uh, to that particular bout when it comes to Oscar Valdez. But eventually had this bout against Shakur Stevenson. Shakur Stevenson, seventeen and zero, also former WBO featherweight champion. All, he was the number one contender for the WBO featherweight championship when Oscar Valdez held the title. But the fight didn't happen at 126. As, like I said, Oscar Valdez moved up to 130. And just found it interesting, you know, that he you know he moves up to 130. Could have been the challenger for the WBO belt, but he chose to go for the WBC belt. And, you know, that's that's you know a whole nother story there. Um then, you know, with Stevenson, uh he you know, has that belt against Joet Gonzalez and wins the, you know, featherweight title. Um, but, you know, when he was supposed to have his first defense of that WBO featherweight title, that was when the whole lockdown stuff happened. He was supposed to fight in the theater in Madison Square Garden, and, you know, whole lockdown stuff happened and everything like that. You know, that was just a, yeah, that was a crazy couple of days there, uh, up there in uh, New York. Um but, you know, pretty much had the lockdown, didn't have any boxing. Uh, but then he was part of the first card uh, in the bubble at uh, MGM Grand as he had the a win over Felix Carvalho um, when he went up to 130 pounds. And he had like a few fights after that against Toka Clary, Jeremiah Nakathila before taking on Jamel Heron in Atlanta for the WBO Super Featherweight Championship. And eventually stopping Jamel Herring uh, within uh, 10 rounds to win that WBO super featherweight title. And that first defense was about against Oscar Valdez, which he had been pursuing since both of them were at 126 pounds. And, oh, man, you you just – you nearly saw a master class in that one. You nearly saw a master class in that one. It was something where, you know – Oscar Valdez didn't really have much of a shot. Um, Stevenson was like, you know, too big, too fast, too strong. We knew about his defense, but it was more about his offense and how he was controlling the fight, controlling the distance, using his jab on multiple occasions, uh, kind of like sharpshooting in a sense from his southpaw stance, you know, throwing the right jab, whenever he wanted to, whenever he had range, threw it upstairs, threw it downstairs. When he was on the inside, scored whenever he needed to score, got out of the pocket, didn't really give uh, Oscar Valdez much of a chance to get himself going. And Valdez, you know, only was able to, you know, land one punch at a time. 
uh, there against Shakur Stevenson. Was he able to land a couple of good shots on Stevenson? Yes, but nothing to where Stevenson wasn't, you know, who's that much trouble. And, you know, midway through the fight, uh, you did see um, Oscar Valdez get knocked down in the sixth round. And it was more about, okay, is it going to be to a point where Shakur Stevenson is going to stop Oscar Valdez? But it didn't necessarily happen. You know, Stevenson kind of like, you know, calmed things down, took his time, you know, in the in the, in the tail uh, half of the fight. Uh, it was reported that, you know, he may have hurt his hand over the in, during the bout. Uh, so that's maybe why he didn't step it up from an offensive perspective. But from a defensive side, you really didn't see much where Valdez could have had Shakur Stevenson in trouble. There was no way that, you know, Oscar Valdez could cut off the ring against Shakur Stevenson. Uh, Shakur Stevenson was having the advantage when he was on the front foot and when he was on the back foot, you know. And you didn't see where Oscar Valdez could get to an instance where he could actually do some damage on Shakur Stevenson. And, you know, for some, it just felt like it was um, where Oscar Valdez just didn't look very well to some people. Now, I know that after the fight, you know, Shakur Stevenson gave Oscar Valdez a lot of props. I mean, you know, this is a guy, Oscar Valdez, that did hold the world title at featherweight, um, you know, since Shakur Stevenson's debut. So, you know, you, you got to tip your head off to Oscar Valdez for that. Uh, but, you know, as they say uh, in boxing, there's levels to this. And Shakur Stevenson was just at a completely different level up there in the ring against Oscar Valdez. So now you have Shakur Stevenson undefeated, 18-0. He's the WBC and WBO Super Featherweight Champion, but he's also the Ring Magazine or Lineal Champion uh, there at... 130 pounds and you know it looks like the sky's the limit now for Shakur Stevenson you know um for me I don't think the 130 pound division is that deep um you know I think you have Kanishi Agawa uh who is a uh the W oh, not the WBO but the IBF um uh, champion and he has a fight scheduled on June 4th uh in Cardiff uh, there where he is going to be facing Joe Cordina. So I think that is a, his first defense of that particular belt. But you also have the WBA title that has been vacant, you know. Um, and, I mean, for me, if if Shakur Stevenson can keep himself there at 130 pounds for a little bit longer, I mean, I don't see why he can't be the undisputed champion uh, there at 130 pounds. I mean, I think that is something that is really uh, there uh, for Shakur Stevenson to do. You know, I don't see you know why that can't happen within the next, uh, what I say, eight to 12 months or eight to 14 months for Shakur Stevenson. Like I said, as long as you're able to stay there at 130 pounds, he become the undisputed champion at 130 pounds. I know that there's a good number of uh, potential matchups that you know, they could have for Shakur Stevenson at 135. I'd say, you know, kind of like hold off on that for a little bit until, you know, he uh, says, like, he could build up his record a little bit more. I mean, he could easily be 
like 25 or 30 and 0 if he stays at 130 or whatnot. But you know how things go, um, you know, with being a star, being a superstar, whatever it is in the sport of boxing, that you're not going to have, you know, that many fights uh, there, you know, per year plus, you know, depending on how much you're getting paid. <laughs> You ain't. You probably ain't gonna be able to have that many fights or fight that often per year uh, if you're, you're getting that type of bread too. So, um, just uh, depends on how they're going to direct Shakur Stevenson from this particular point uh, after defeating Oscar Valdez and him clearly beating Oscar Valdez uh, there to win that WBC, WBO, and Wing Magazine uh, Super Featherweight titles. Man, I mean that that's. That was a, a, a big, big, big win uh, there for Shakur Stevenson, and that probably you know was one of the uh, better performances of the year so far. You know, as far as like clearly defeating an opponent in a high-level fight. You know, so um, that's that's something there for Shakur Stevenson uh, there to kind of build on. Um, other other uh, fights that were uh, part of this card at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. The co-feature bout, you had Keyshawn Davis uh, there against Esteban Sanchez, where Keyshawn Davis was clearly winning every round up until the stoppage in the sixth round. So Keyshawn Davis uh, is now 5-0. and uh, They're in the lightweight division. Um, and, you know, a good number of people feel like the sky's the limit there for Keyshawn Davis. Like, they, they feel like this, that he could really be the guy that could be the next uh, superstar uh, there within that, you know, 135, 140 division uh, there. But, you know, as of right now, Keyshawn Davis, uh, you know, having about five fights, five pro fights uh, there going up against Isamon Sanchez, uh, who came in there with a record of 18 wins and one loss. Uh, so, you know, for some, that could have been, you know, like a real step-up fight. Keyshawn Davis and he was able to you know sweep every single round up until the you know the stoppage you know so I think it's uh sky's the limit there for Keyshawn Davis as well I mean you know he did you know kind of like talk about you know him and his relationship with uh now unified super featherweight champion uh Shakur Stevenson and that you know he kind of like is following the footsteps of Shakur Stevenson went through the Olympics Ended up with a silver medal, like Shakur Stevenson, having this, uh, you know, great start here so far. Uh, but in the lightweight division, instead of, you know, like with uh, Shakur being there at the featherweight division, starting out now, Stevenson is at super featherweight. So Keyshawn Davis uh, there with the win over Isabon Sanchez. You also had uh, Nico Ali Walsh out there, the grandson of Muhammad Ali, uh, score a Fairly definitive knockout victory over Alejandro Barra that, you know, opened the uh, ESPN telecast uh, there. So Nico Ali Walsh is, you know, now 5-0. and um, You know, he did say that he wanted to, you know, work on a couple of things here in, in, in this uh, fight uh, here against Alejandro Barra. But <laughs> with it being a uh, first-round knockout victory, he, I don't think he really uh, did uh, what he um, was saying that he was um, intending to do. Uh, he, but he did, you know, kind of like did come in with the combo left, right, with that right, just definitively knocking out 
Alejandro Abarth uh, there near the end of you know that first round. So um, did have that, uh, and in the ESPN Plus portion, you had uh, wins by Raymond Murataya, uh, Troy Isley, uh, Dylan Mason, and I think it was uh, Andres Cortez. And the fight between Antoine Cobb and Jamie Phillips ended up in a majority draw. So that is that entire card there for the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. And yes, I could have been in that event as well, but you know, I had other engagements for that weekend that I had to cover. So um, I was able to, you know, basically do do that uh, while you know all of this action did happen in New York and Las Vegas. Uh, but that you know kind of like covers everything that happened uh, on on Saturday. You know that was uh, quick there. So you had all that stuff that happened on Saturday. Um, you know, right now we're looking ahead to uh, what's going down on May 7th. As, uh, of course, uh, in a couple of days is Cinco de Mayo. Um, and for Cinco de Mayo weekend, as in usually every uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend, it's custom for Saul Canelo Alvarez or Santo Saul Alvarez Barragan to fight. Right, so he is having a fight against Dimitri Bavall, and it is for Bavall's super world light heavyweight title, WBA super title. Uh, there, of course, Dimitri Bavall is undefeated 19 and 0. Canelo Alvarez with a record of 57 wins, one loss, and two draws. Canelo Alvarez being considered by many as the top pound for pound fighter in the sport the most famous or the most popular fighter in the sport going up against Dimitri Bavall. Now, of course, Canelo Alvarez is, you know, last year was able to become the undisputed super middleweight champion, and now he's going up to 175 once again to see if he could win the world title. He did defeat Sergey Kovalev for that WBO version of the 175-pound title a few years back. And was able to, you know, knock out uh, Sergey Kovalev. Uh, but you know, in that particular bout, you know, he uh, through ten rounds, he had six rounds to four um, advantage over Sergey Kovalev, and one judge had it even. Uh, but Sergey Kovalev was able to work the jab, uh, you know, fairly well, especially in the early part of the fight before uh, Canelo Collin got his bearings back and you know started to work to the body and everything like that you know, and, and be very sharp. But, you know, there are people, you know, there's a growing crowd that feel like Dimitri Bavall could be uh, the guy that might give Canelo Alvarez some real trouble. Uh, Bavall, like I said, is 19-0, and 0, um, and, and he uh, is a very good fighter, a very good boxer, you know. Um, 11 of those 19 wins did come by, you know, uh, st- uh, you know knockout or stoppage. Um, he did have his uh, recent bout against Umar Salomal uh, in December of last year, but that was a unanimous decision. But, you know, his last, his previous, uh, wow, uh, like, what, six six bouts ended up in decision. Um, you know, one of them I was able to see uh, live in, in, in the uh, Hard Rock Hotel uh, against Isaac Chalamba, where he scored that unanimous decision victory. That was uh, part of the card where, 
Uh, Kovalev got knocked out by Elder Alvarez, uh, but you know him holding the WBA version of the light heavyweight title. He's been one of the longest reigning uh, world champions out there. You know, like he's had the, had that belt since 2017. Um, and you know, people kept talking about if there was going to be a unification belt. You know, with Demetrius Vival. Uh, they're in at the 175-pound uh, division, but that necessarily has not been able to happen, uh, you know, particularly against Artur Betabiev. Uh, but now uh, Betabiev is going to be facing uh, Joe Smith Jr., you know, uh, later on down the line uh, for that unification bout. But there is a lot on the line here for Demetrius Baval because, first, if he's able to score that win against Canelo Alvarez and he keeps that WBA world title, hey, maybe he could get the winner of Better Bia versus Smith for the undisputed title of there at 175 pounds. But if Canelo wins, and I know, I know that there was a deal of some sort made for Canelo to face Gennady Golovkin. Once again, let me tell you something, man. Look, Canelo defeats Demetri Baval. I don't care about that deal, God darn it. All right? Screw all that. Canelo, he should he should face the winner of Better Biev versus Joe Smith Jr. for the undisputed title at 175 pounds. Why? <laughs> Very simple. You go in there, you fight better, better BF, or you fight Joe Smith Jr., and you win. Your two-division undisputed champion. You were a unified champion in, you know, what What was it, 154 pounds, I think it was? He was a unified champion. He was unified at... At, at 160, undisputed at 168, and then he could be undisputed at 175. But hold on, let, let, let me let me let me go to the rack. Let me go to the rack, and let me confirm that. Yes, he had been, of course, unified uh, uh, at 154. You know, with his win over Austin Trout before losing it to Floyd Mayweather, and he hasn't uh, lost since. You know, and he was able to become the unified champion at middleweight with his win over Gennady Golovkin. So it would be unified at 154, unified at 160, undisputed at 168. And yeah, he had won the WBO light heavyweight title over Sergey Kovalev sometime back. But if he defeats Dimitri Baval, and then we have the result of uh, Better Beer versus Smith, that's supposed to be, uh, what, in June, June 18th or whatnot, you face the winner of that bout and you get that win. Canelo Alvarez would be the undisputed champion at 175 pounds. Don't talk about legacy of <laughs> with that, you know? Um, and, I, and, and for me, and, and I've said this, I've said this on podcasts, I've said this on uh, takes before, man. I'm sorry, y'all. I don't want to see this goddamn Canelo Golovkin fight, man. I don't, I don't, man, I don't care, man. I don't care, yo. Y'all, y'all need to put that to rest. That fight happened. The last fight happened in 2018, 
We don't need to see it again. Let's see if Canelo Alvarez, if he gets the win over Dimitri Babal on May 7th, see if he can go for the undisputed championship in the light heavyweight division. Now, especially if it's someone like if, hey, <laughs> what if Arthur Benabiev defeats Joe Smith Jr.? And people kind of like build that to being the biggest challenge for Canelo Alvarez. And he would be able to defeat Benabiev to become the undisputed champion at light heavyweight. Now, that would be a huge accomplishment there for Canelo Alvarez uh, if that if they were able to, you know, range all of that. Like, you, like put, put all that other stuff to the side in reference to Gennady Golovkin. We don't really need to, I'm sorry, we don't really need to have Gennady Golovkin face him again. Have Canelo Alvarez with the win over Dimitri Baval go up against at who would be the unified champion uh, there, you know, with uh, Better Biv and Joe Smith Jr. Have that be for, yeah, have that be for the undisputed championships. You know, have that be for the undisputed championships. I don't see why that can't be the case. You know, I mean, you got, like I said, we have, Better be up as the WBC and IBF champ. You got Joe Smith Jr. as the WBO champ. They're going to have three of the four major belts. The winner of Baval versus Canelo will have the lone remaining belt for Undisputed. Why not have that fight happen? I don't see why not. I don't see why not. Go ahead and have the winner of Canelo Baval and better be of Joe Smith Jr. for the undisputed championships at light heavyweight. Now, if it's Canelo Alvarez, that, that's going to be something right there. But as of right now, the deal is for Canelo to face Baval and then Gennady Golovkin. It is what it is. But speaking of that whole deal with Canelo Alvarez, remember, he had another offer that was out there for him. And it was going to be at 168. And one of those fights was going to be against Jamal Charlo. And the other fight was going to be against David Benavidez. And we heard, or some, some fans heard from Samson Likowitz, uh, you know, manager promoter for, uh, well, the promoter there for David Benavidez. The manager is Jose Benavidez Sr., you know, uh, David's father. He said that there was an offer to Canelo for Canelo to face Benavidez for north of $50 million. Not $50 million, but north of $50 million. Well, apparently, there's been another report out or another statement in reference to Canelo Alvarez and another deal that was offered from someone on the PBC side. And that offer... Uh, apparently comes from Tom Brown, the head of TGB Promotions. And that one is where Tom Brown stated earlier, well, it looks like earlier today, and this is through a report from Keith Eidick on Boxing Scene, that there could have been an offer for Canelo to face 
Jamal Charlo for $45 million. And then $55 million, not just for if he would have fought Jose Benavidez in 168, but also if he would have fought Errol Spence Jr. at 164 pounds. Now, that's big. That That is big. Now, uh, there, there's been, you know, um, you know, there has been talked years back that the biggest fight in, in, in boxing that could be made would be Canelo Alvarez versus Errol Spence. And to see like something like this where it could have been offered where uh, Canelo could have earned $55 million guarantee uh, to fight Errol Spence at a catch weight of 164 pounds, that would have been something. Now, people are saying, oh, my gosh, what? Man, they could have had Errol Spence go up to 164 pounds to fight Canelo Alvarez? What are they doing? Well, y'all must have forgot that a few years back, Errol Spence was getting down to 147 pounds while he was walking around at 180 plus. So, hey, if he's able to keep his diet right and, you know, kind of like stay at a good a good weight around like 170 or something like that, 172, he could do something at 164 pounds. So, you could have had a fight between Canelo Alvarez and Errol Spence Jr. at 164. And, yeah, I know, I know that all the big fights usually happen in Las Vegas. But imagine if you would have had Canelo Alvarez versus Errol Spence Jr. in AT&T Stadium. And this time, they would have opened the entire stadium. And this time, they wouldn't have them tickets be, you know, what I would say, quote, unquote, affordable or whatever it is. They would kind of like be nearing Vegas prices. And people would have still came and saw that fight live. Like, I know that people are talking about with the Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford thing trying to materialize. You know what I'm here to tell you? I thought that it was going to materialize, but it's just something not quite coming together with that. But <laughs> if it would have had something where, you know, Canelo Alvarez versus Errol Spence Jr., that would have been huge. But going into what uh, you know Tom Brown had said, he, he he gave props to you know Eddie Reynoso for being manager of the year. And get Canelo the paydays there for him with the least risk. That's what Tom Brown was saying. He said that he had that anyone else had Canelo taking the least risk for the most reward. And because he had a chance to fight the reigning world champion at 160 pounds in Charlo, and he also had a chance to fight an undefeated two-time former 168 pound champion in Benavidez, you know. Or he could have fought the reigning welterweight champion. It was going to be overall a $100 million deal, you know. Um, 
And like I said, I did, you know, kind of like mention the whole thing with what Simpson Lickowitz was saying about the Benavidez fight. Uh, but still, you know, having, you know, the two fight deal that would have been $100 million for Cano Alvarez, for him to face, you know, Charlo and, um, you know, either Benavidez and now Errol Spence, that would be huge. That would have been huge, you know. Um, and that's something that, you know, I kind of like say, hey, they probably could have had Canelo versus Spence at AT&T Stadium. If they would have had something like that this year, oh, my goodness. That would have been huge. That would have been huge. Uh, but uh, as, as we know, Canelo Alvarez is having his fight against Dimitri Baval. And apparently he's going to have his fight with Gennady Golovkin. But like I said, if he beats Dimitri Baval, and he is the WBA super champion and light heavyweight. He should go ahead and fight for the undisputed championship of 175 pounds. I don't see why not. I don't see what the point is of facing Gennady Golovkin once again, whether it's at 168 or catch weight or any type of weight. Go for all the belts at 175 pounds. That's if he ends up beating Demetri Baval on May 7th, Cinco de Mayo weekend. Uh, that will be uh, there over in Las Vegas. Oops, my bad. I mean, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and T-Mobile Arena. You know, so there's that. Um, the other thing is I wanted to jump on was this whole back and forth between Unified welterweight champion Errol Spence Jr. and the WBO welterweight champion Terrence Crawford. They've been going back and forth on Twitter. Uh, you know, Crawford's like, you know, been talking, was talking trash. Errol Spence is like, <laughs> he had the, the, the quote of, hey, look, <laughs> hey, 38 and 1 isn't a bad record. <laughs> seeing, if, seeing as they're trying to in, in, incline that. The fight between Spence and Crawford would be next. And, <laughs> you know, Errol Spence also brought up the record of uh, the trainer and manager for Terrence Crawford, Mr. Brian Bo McIntyre, who's been another guest of uh, the Boxing Source at one point, uh, and pretty much like got on him. Uh, but, you know, after all the back and forth, you know, Errol Spence pretty much just said, like, hey, say no more. And I'm going to keep myself quiet until this fight is signed. Which kind of like gives people the inclination that the fight could be next for both fighters. Now, in various conversations, it looked like, you know, Errol Spence, you know, was going to go forward with this fight against your Dennis Ugas to see if he could have three to four major belts. And then have Terrence Crawford go ahead and face somebody in the interim before having those two guys fight each other. But now it looks like the plan could be that Terrence Crawford could go right into a fight there against Errol Spence. Now that would be big. Now my thing would be, or my question would be, if that's going to be the case, when is that fight going to happen? Is it going to happen in August? Is it going to happen in September? Is it going to happen in October? Now remember, 
Terrence Crawford's last fight was in November of last year against Sean Porter at Mandalay Bay, right? Hasn't had a fight since. Now, there was rumblings that Terrence Crawford would have had a fight in either June or July, but we're in May. So if it's going to be in June, they will be announcing that fight real soon, and Terrence Crawford would be in camp. Preparing for the fighter. Now, he, I mean, he says he stays in the gym. You've seen him train. You've seen him work with Shakur Stevenson recently. Uh, you've seen him work with other, you know, fighters recently. And that's it. But also, Terrence Crawford was in attendance in Las Vegas for the fight with Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez. And, you know, from what I was seeing or from what I was hearing, Terrence Crawford wasn't very vocal um, you know, when it came to anything outside of that fight between Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez, when it came to what his next move was going to be or what he was going to do in reference to Errol Spence, as far as like I know at this point, I haven't seen anything that gives an inclination that he's going to fight Errol Spence Jr. next. But hey, if he does go ahead and have that fight next, that's going to be huge. And the thing about it is, is that I would like to know when that is. Maybe, maybe if it's going to be next, then maybe it could be in August. Maybe it could be in August. Now, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, August of last year was when, you know, we had the bout between your uh, Dennis Ugas and Emmanuel Dapidon Pacquiao, Pacquiao, that is, right? Uh, remember, that was supposed to be the scheduled bout between Pacquiao and Errol Spence, but, you know, Errol Spence had suffered that injury, so Yunanis Ugas uh, was there in his place, uh, there for August 21st of 2021, and that, you know, kind of like looked like it was like a big date uh, there for a fight in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena, so, hmm, maybe you could have something in August, uh, what would that be? What, August 20th of uh, this year? Where it could be. Errol Spence Jr. versus Terrence Crawford for the undisputed welterweight championships. As we know that Canelo Alvarez is supposed to face Gennady Golovkin in September. Yeah, I said it. Whatever. (laughs) But when it comes to um, Errol Spence, and Terrence Crawford, maybe that could be the fight of the summer. Spence versus Crawford for the Undisputed Welterweight Championships, August 20th, 2022. Maybe that could be the case. I mean, remember, you know, Errol Spence, you know, could have had that big moment in the summer of 2021 against Manny Pacquiao. And due to the eye injury, he was not able to have that. So, you know, he kind of like had to be on the shelf for a little bit longer and then went up against your Dennis Ugas and, you know, was able to score that stoppage victory against your Dennis Ugas uh, there to win the WBA belt. So now he has a WBC, WBA, and IVF welterweight titles. And now he is going for that WBO title. And like he said, after his win over uh, your Dennis Ugas, pretty much told Terrence Crawford, I'm coming for the MF and belt. And... He's going to do whatever it takes to see if that fight can be made. And if it's made for next, hey, don't, hey, I'm just putting it out there. 
August 20th, 2022, Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford for the undisputed welterweight championships. I'm just saying, put it out there, all right? So there's that. Um, you know, there isn't pretty much uh, anything else here that I wanted to, you know, kind of like go by uh, in this particular thing. I know that, like I said, you had uh, Canelo versus Baval that's going to be on May 7th. But after that, um, you're going to have May 14th, uh, Boots Ennis versus Castillo Clayton, and the rematch between Jamel Charlo up there against Brian Carlos Casano for the undisputed titles at 154 pounds. That is going to be a really good fight, all right? And can't can't wait for that particular fight. Uh, that's there May 14th. Um, you know, May 21st, you do have uh, David Benavidez, the former two-time uh, champion there, 168, uh, going up against David Lemieux. And then May 28th, you have a uh, thing there with Gavante Tank Davis versus Rolando Roley Romero uh, there at uh, the – uh, lightweight division. So a uh, good amount of uh, fights, good amount of big events uh, here for the month of May uh, for people to look forward to. Um, and then also, you know, in that first uh, weekend in June, you do have the undisputed championship fight at 135 pounds between George Cambosis Jr. and Devin Haney in Marvel Stadium over in Australia. So Week after week after week after week after week, I think that's like five consecutive weeks where you're gonna have notable fights uh, there for for boxing fans to look out for. So uh, this kind of like is uh, starting this thing up here. What around the spring, around the springtime, and then going into the summer, we're gonna have a lot of uh, notable fights uh, there in the sport of boxing. So y'all uh, be on the lookout for all of those fights, and we're gonna get into uh, each of those uh, here and more news. Uh, through uh, these podcasts and, uh, you know, after uh, the card headlined by Demetri Baval and Canelo Alvarez, we're going to have our uh, show on Sunday and that is going to pretty much go through seven years of having the Boxing Source radio show. We're going to be going into our eighth season uh, there pretty much. Um as this is going to be completing seven seasons of the Boxing Source radio show. Um, remember around Cinco de Mayo weekend, or it was like, you know, May 2nd of 2015 uh, was the pilot episode of the Boxing Source radio show. And we have been, you know, fairly consistent from that time until now. And that's why I say, according to reports, the Boxing Source Radio Show is the longest-running boxing podcast in existence. You know, so that so that's that. Um, and with that being said, that draws a close to this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. We will get right back at it. Like I said, uh, scheduled for May eighth, twenty twenty-two. And like I said, the end of every show, folks. The point of boxing is to hit and not get hit, not to stand and trade. On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody. <laughs>